Welcome to the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories of growth and transformation. I'm delighted to introduce Annie McGill, who in previous roles has been a head teacher, often described as a super head. Very well known to the community in Woking in the UK as a head of St. John the Baptist School and a quote from, from Ofsted. So in the UK, Ofsted are a pretty tough regulator and mo- most people find s- simply surviving an Ofsted inspection to be you know, quite a challenge. Annie's sort of description in Ofsted was, an ins- was providing inspirational leadership, which I think is quite an a, a amazing quote. One other thing I'll, I'll mention just as a, an intro, in her time at St. John the Baptist, at least 19 heads have come from her time as, as leader. So not only has Annie been really amazing at employing sort of transformational leadership during her time as head teacher, but she's grown a whole lot of heads and then most recently become CEO of the Xavier Multi Academy Trust, stepping down just in, in July. So welcome, Annie. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Martin. It's good to be here. <laughs> oh, it's a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure. I've got so many things that I want to ask you. So you've you've transformed many schools. You've transformed the way that the Multi-Academy Trust has worked. And one of the things I'm really curious about is running a, a large school is very much like running a company. And you've got a lot of staff. You've got a lot of pressures on you. And how do you encourage them all to, to really focus on what's needed to drive the school forward and thrive? Oh my goodness. First of all, you've, you've got to be like a dog with a bone. You know, never ever take your eye off the ball. To be honest, I've never really signed up for, you know, mission, vision, values, aims and objectives. You know, what are we here for? What's our core purpose? Um, keep the message really, really simple. And then, does everybody who works in the school or the company, does everybody know what the message is? Does everybody know what we're focusing on? And does everybody know what part they play in it? I heard a CEO of a a trust of a hospital many years ago, and his message to everybody, which I'll always remember, was treat every patient as if they're a, a beloved member of your family. And I thought that was a really simple message. And people who, whatever job people have in the hospital, if they stuck to that, it would take them a long way. So our message was always very clear that we're here to serve the children so they get a great education. But never, ever think that because you've said the message that people have received it and day in, day out will live by it. I always think of that uh, the story about... You know, people who have heart attacks, they have a heart attack, they go to the hospital and the consultant says to them, you need to you need to drink less, lose weight, have a healthier diet. And they go home and they sign up and they do it all. But gradually, old habits come back. And the research says that after six months, the majority have reverted back. So if there's a life and death situation and people don't hear the message then if you're trying to change people's behaviours in an organisation just by telling them the message once, it's just not going to happen. So the message has got to be simple um, and, and then everybody in the establishment has to know what their part in is it. So if we're there to serve the children, then let's take somebody like the head of catering. You know, they know that their job in serving the children is to provide healthy food so that the children learn better. The caretaker's job in serving the children is to provide a good learning environment so the children are better able to learn. So it's making sure that that message is heard 
all the time and heard by everybody and everybody signs up to it. I'm rambling on. Shall I carry on? No, I, I think that's fantastic. Keep going. Keep going. So first of all, you have to know what the message is and you have to make sure everybody hears it continually. But the second part is that you've got to make sure it happens. And I think that that is down, first of all, to to the leadership behaviour. And I'm not talking about the head teacher or the CEO. I'm talking about the leaders throughout the organisation. You know, my big, big thing is integrity. And by integrity, what I mean is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. One of the differences, I think, between being in a school and being in some companies is that schools really, the success of a school is entirely down to discretionary effort. You know, in 45 years in education, I've never, I've never quite been sure what the Department for Education does, but they give us an awful lot of jobs to do in schools. And we could spend our entire time <laughs> managing upwards, as it were, but we have to focus on doing the right thing. And there aren't enough hours in the day to serve all the masters and make sure the children get a great deal. So everything relies on discretionary effort and people don't give over and above if they aren't treated properly and if the core purpose isn't really clear that we are there to to serve the children. You know, and I've got many, many highlights in my career, but you know, one of them would be going round the school at five o'clock and seeing children in so many classrooms with teachers and support staff there helping them and giving that discretionary effort. So the job of the leaders is to really take all the rubbish away from the staff, whether they be teachers or support staff, so that they can focus on the core business and not give them jobs to do, but take jobs off them. And so I always, you know, say the job of the leader is is to serve the staff and serve the children. So I don't want them sat in their offices, filling in spreadsheets and on their computers. They need to be out and about all day, every day, making sure that people are focusing on the right things, finding out what's stopping people focusing on the right things and sorting it for them so that they can focus on the children. And that's across the board. And in terms of the message, during my career, I've taken over a number of schools that have gone into special measures who've failed their inspections, and they're all they're all exactly the same. But one of the one of the things that they have in common is I ask people, you know, what does the school stand for? What what are we here for? And everybody can give me an answer, but everybody has a completely different answer because there's no common understanding within the establishment of. What, what the school's about and what and what we're trying to do. So does that answer your question? Totally, totally. What you've described there is is a beautifully a, a systems approach. So in the discipline of cybernetics, there's an idea of having a policy at the top of an organization. So you you set essentially a policy into the organization which will be, you know, we're we're there to do X for our community, for our children, etc. And then that should flow down. And as you say it should be a a, a different part of that message may be relayed, as you, you described at the beginning, to different people. So the, the school sort of kitchen staff are there to make sure that the children have healthy food and are well prepared so that they can study really well. Um, a different part of that message might go down to the teachers, 
use the different part might go down to the support assistance. But essentially, it's one message. And you're absolutely right that in a an organization that does really well, everybody understands that message. And one of the really key things is getting the message down. And you're, 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 the example of the, the person who's had a heart attack is a, a very relevant one because you'd think if, if anybody was ever going to get a message, it's, you know, well, I really have to change. Otherwise, I'm going to be back here again. And if, if that isn't enough to change people, then it's, it's certainly not, you know, your boss saying we really need to do something. That probably isn't going to go in as well as you would hope it would. But that sort of absolute commitment to, as you said, being out and about, making sure that the message is received, that's so critical. So again, in, in cybernetics, there's this idea of sending out a message and then amplifying that message. So that means adjusting it and making it more appropriate for the audience. So you'd amplify it for the kitchen staff, for the you know the, the teachers, for the, the the different leaders through the organisation. But you'll also go back and you'll you'll go and do a a review and you'll make sure that that message is is being you know sort of acted on and you'll you'll review at different levels. So what you've described is beautifully a, a systems approach in action, which is fascinating. One of the the examples of where okay, there's a th- there's a third bit to it. Sure, there's a third bit to it, Martin, mm. which is you know what is the message? Constantly making all decisions around the message, what's right for the children. But the third bit of it is, if you're going to have a great organisation and where organisations go wrong, in my view, is that you have to hold people to account for that message and you have to grasp the nettles. So why do people avoid this in all walks of life? Why do people avoid holding other people to, a, to account? Because it's, it's not about being nasty to people, is it? It's about saying, you know, the message is clear. You know, I'm really sorry, this classroom's dirty and it's not a good learning environment for the children and we're here to serve the children, so we need to clean it. You know, I'm really sorry, but you know, your predicted results aren't where they need to be. So what can we do to support you? Because, you know, we have to get there. And I think it's all right having a message and it's all right making people deliver the message, but then you have to hold them to account as well. Yes. Absolutely, and that's that's part of that sort of that that function that um, review the the what's known as in the, the sort of cybernetics uh, business as, as the the audit uh, of the, the the sort of the system as a whole. Um, and you're right that that is is essentially holding the organisation to account. And it's really interesting because what you've just described is the difference between successful and unsuccessful innovation. So there's there's a, a recent study that I I, I was uh, sort of told about where people had looked at two different types of innovator. One type of innovator never really got anywhere. And they were the people who grew up, went off with a great idea, did all sorts of great things, but never really got held to account. The innovator who actually got somewhere was the person who went off and was told, okay, well, you want to create this, I don't know, whatever it is, a, a, a nuclear sort of fission reactor or whatever. That's great. That's going to happen in you know, five years' time. But what are the interim exams? What do you have to do to be able to create that? What is it that you need to be able to do next month that tells me that you're on track? What are you going to do you know, in two months, in five months? Because well, putting all that effort in and hoping for something in 10 years' time, hmm, great, it may, may not happen. But if you've got those midterm exams and you can make sure that the organization's on track, Track, that really does hold people to account. So it's it's fascinating, isn't it? That sort of what, what it takes to make our organisation really successful, really thrive. Yeah, and the other the other thing that you said about communication is so true. Schools and head teachers are, are great at writing loads of paperwork and development plans that then sit in a drawer till the end of the year for their appraisal. But who needs what message? 
you know, the person who runs the finance doesn't need to know what a great geography lesson looks like. <laughs> and it is about, so you, you have the, you know, the core message for everybody to, that everybody to hang everything on, but then you have the clear what people, how that needs to be unpacked for different people so that everybody in the organisation knows what good looks like in their field. Yeah, definitely. You, you've run quite a lot of different organisations. You mentioned the sort of the turnarounds that you've you, you've performed. There have been quite quite a lot of headlines of you you kind of coming into schools that have you know, felt Ofsted, and you you've said essentially there is this kind of core lack of understanding of the vision. You know, everybody's got their own vision, but nobody's actually united it. And but you've you've turned around all sorts of organisations. You've run very big schools. You've run the multi academy trust. You said at one time that running a, a single form entry, so in the UK the smallest kind of school was a really difficult thing to do. Why, why is it difficult? And is there a parallel with running a small business there? To be honest, I, I was, you know, I run, a, I, I run a big school and I presumed the, the bigger the school, the harder the job, as it were. And I got a real shock when I went to a very small school because essentially, you know, in education, money comes with bums on seats and, you know, 80, sometimes 90% of your money goes straight back out. But your fixed costs are not, not proportional to, to the number of children. So, you know, every school needs a caretaker of some description. Every school needs somebody on reception, somebody to provide some food, somebody to do the finances. And the reality is that every, in these very small schools, everybody's flat out or teaching. So... When the um, things that have happened to me that, you know, the pipe bursts, the upset parent, the absent teacher, the website needs updating, the 33 statutory policies that the government wants us to do, there is zero, zero capacity and everything comes back to the head teacher. And I think my low point was somebody coming to knocking on the door and saying, Annie, have you got the sandwiches for parents evening? Because... Just the head. The head did everything. I was like, oh right. That'll be me as well then, will it? <laughs> and there is there is zero capacity in those small schools. I mean, I think it's a deliberate deliberate government policy that there is so much that's handed down to schools to do in terms of, you know, just taking the thirty-three statutory policies. When, when are the heads meant to write these 33 statutory policies and then review them everywhere, every year as well? But, I mean, I, I, could, I could write a paper on what I've seen heads do in small schools, you know, everything from gardening at the weekend to been there at midnight to lock up after a letting because there's nobody else to do it. And it, it must be the same in businesses, isn't it? Because money is not a wash. And certain jobs have to be done, whatever the size of the company. And that lack of capacity, the result often is, in my experience, is because people are so stretched that what goes is the quality of education because everything, everything's so urgent. You know, if you've got a burst water pipe, you can't go and observe and, and, and help the reception class teacher because that water pipe has got to be fixed. And so it's a really, really tough job. And, you know, I've got huge admiration for head teachers of small schools because everything lays at their door. 
It is. And you're right, there are a lot of parallels with a small company. There's, there's still the accounts to be done in a small company. If you've got staff, you've still got to worry about at least the health and safety policy, at least the, the HR side of things. You've still got to manage your, your staff. You've still got to make sure that all the statutory you know, things are complied with in your own field. And it doesn't matter how big or how small you are. There's, there's a kind of minimum set of things that you've got to do. So even if you're a one-person entity, <laughs> still, yeah, so it is. It's, it's very, very challenging. And I suppose that that's why there is quite a lot of sort of collaboration. A lot of people who are working in small organizations tend to collaborate with one another or with a larger entity and simply to try and offset at least some of that overhead because otherwise it becomes sort of very difficult. And schools, of course, have collaborated together in the UK and multi-academy trusts, haven't they, which is, is one way of being able to at least spread some of the, the burden. It doesn't help you with uh, you know locking up at, at midnight or whatever from a letting, but it does help you with being able to deal with things. I mean, particularly during the COVID crisis, we were seeing the sort of multi-economy trust being able to take some of the load away. Just for, we've got quite a, quite a number of international listeners. So could, could you just explain what a multi-academy trust is for, those, for, the, for the people who aren't in the UK? Uh, well, multi-academy trust is when schools join together legally under one legal umbrella and run as one unit. And there are a full spectrum of multi-academy trusts. The funding then comes direct from the government to the multi-academy trust, and the multi-academy trust has the legal responsibility for everything that happens within the schools. So it puts an additional layer in, but there are lots and lots of advantages. And there, there is a, a big spread of multi-academy trusts where at one end of the, of the spectrum, you could have, I call them the mats of mediocrity, where a couple of mates get together and, and form a trust in order to avoid Ofsted for a few years. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got a multi-academy trust, which is run where wherever you were, if, if you're in a school on a Monday morning across the country, the children would be in the same uniform, being taught the same lesson using the same PowerPoint presentation and everything is decided centrally. And then there's a big spectrum in between. But the multi-academy trusts run the central services for the schools and they top slice the schools and they make the decisions about how much they top slice and what services they offer. So essentially, in the pre-multi-academy pre trust days in the UK, all schools were plugged into the local authority. So essentially, the, the support was provided by the local authority. And we've moved to a position now where essentially they're going through these multi-academy trusts of varying sizes to be supported directly from central government, which is quite a substantial change, isn't it, in the way that we've, we've operated? Yes. As, as a um, sort of CEO of a multi-academy trust who's coming in, what advice would you offer to people who are coming in as, as new CEOs to a, a multi-academy trust? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> no, that's not true. No, I would my my first piece of advice would be to really think through. It is not the next step, an automatic next step of your career. You know, I went to it into it in the early days where, you know, there was no training. I didn't really have a clue what it was. It was a bit like I said to somebody recently, it was a bit like being a belly dancer and swapping to being a bricklayer. That was the, the, the commonality, the similarity of the roles. 
But I, I really think that people need to think it through if they're going to be a CEO, because, you know, we didn't come into education. I didn't come into education to run a, mid, a 50 million pound budget. You know, I didn't come into education to sit in meetings discussing risk and audit and you know doing the things I spend my time doing now. So you need to think through whether it's the role for role for you. And my advice to people is you need to get out and talk to people outside education. I went to, to some really great companies to find out what the CEO did and to try and learn how I could be a good CEO. And I remember really clearly somebody who'd been on the, the board at Sears saying to me, whatever you do, don't create a pyramid of central administration. And I've tried to stick by that because, as, as I just said, the, the multi-academy trust decides what the top slice is. And really, what is the CEO's job? The CEO's job hasn't changed. We're still there to serve all the children and to make sure the children get a great education in all of the schools. You know, we've, we've got 16 schools in our, in our trust. And so the CEO's job is to make sure that that message and all of the children get a great education. So you don't take all the money out of the schools. You have to leave as much money as possible in the schools. And then to think, to say to the CEOs, you know, stick to the knitting. What is your job? Your job is to make sure the children get a great education. So what we have to do, instead of serving the heads, serving the children directly, our job now is to serve the head teachers and to take everything away from the head teachers that prevents them sticking to the core business. You know, so the head teachers don't want to be focusing on health and safety and policies and finance and governance. That's the sort of thing we should be taking centrally, taking you know, all the crappy stuff away from them and then leaving them so that they can focus on the very reason that they came into the business, which is the education of young children. So don't get away in an ivory tower because it, because we are an additional cost. So I say to CEOs that I work with now, you know, how are you earning your money? Because you're taking a bigger percentage of the children's pot than everybody else. So you've really got to earn your money and make sure that the children get a better education as a result of your appointment. But don't become remote, you know, get out there and still be in the schools and don't build a central empire. So a bit of a ramble there, but did the message come across? <laughs> very much. Very, very good advice, because as you say, I think the, there is that tendency in organisations for the sort of the central empire to be created. Um, the number of times that a whole lot of organisations I've worked with, whether it be universities, whether it be sort of businesses, they'll, they'll tend to create that kind of entourage around the, the, the CEO and the leadership team. And suddenly sort of, you know, some additional support comes in, you've got some additional admin support and some PAs arrive and, you know, gradually it all sort of, you know, kind of expands. And those those people then need their entourage. And so, you know, you sort of end up with the, you know, the, the sort of the senior analyst having an analyst team and the you know and it and it grows and grows and grows. So it is it's a really hard thing to push against because there is it clearly some some you know there's some good in having you know additional people do things but you've got to balance that against the good in having money in the schools for, to be able to directly support the children rather than doing things which are a bit more remote from what goes on. I very much like your your description of the the pot of money the you know the, the children's that you, you often describe it the, the school budget as the children's money, which is a really good way to focus the mind, isn't it? On you know it's actually money that you know we we invest for the children. It's not the school's budget. It's not about you know money for the the staff or whatever. It's the money for the children. How do you best spend the children's money? Definitely. 
Definitely. And, you know, every penny that you spend on central entourage, as, as you said, is money that's not been spent on the children directly. That's very, you know, very, very sound advice, I think, for any organization, isn't it, that we need to focus on the core purpose. And the more we focus on the core purpose and make sure that every single thing that is done from the boardroom all the way through to the sort of, um, you know, the, the, the shop floor, whether that be a manufacturer or a supplier of services and goods or what, whatever it happens to be, it, it's, it's essential to make sure we push as much of that value into the, you know, the, the heart of the business and, and are, are not encouraged by fads and what waves and management, um, you know, ideas to, to kind of build up a, a you know, a, a, an empire, which isn't necessarily, you know, going to be that useful. Yeah, stick to the knitting. You know, what what are we there for? Absolutely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic advice. Any other advice, Annie, to CEOs of Multi Academy Trusts? Well, don't become isolated. You know, benchmark against the very best, but also join an organization like the Confederation of School Trusts, where you'll get a lot of good advice and support and see what good looks like elsewhere. Yeah, so definitely don't get isolated and good luck. Annie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really have enjoyed our conversation. I could talk to you for, for hours about all of the, the various aspects of school improvement. I, I, I'm continually surprised by the, the, the number of ways in which you've sort of you know, contributed over the years to school improvement. I'll just briefly mention at the end the 365 ways to improve your schools. That was a, a book you wrote, wasn't it, on uh, how, to, how to get the best out of schools? Yeah, t- uh, the, latest, the latest iteration was 500 ways to improve your school. Oh, awesome. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I very much enjoy uh, sort of looking through it. all the good advice you have. Thank you so much for, for joining me, Annie. It's been a great pleasure to, to chat with you. You're very welcome. Good to chat, Martin. Take care. Thanks, Annie. This is the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories of growth and transformation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>